Well, to apply as we usually do, indeed the Bible I just read from does, uh, the title, The Triumphal Entry, uh, to this passage that I just read, depicting Jesus' entry into uh, Jerusalem on this first uh, of what we call uh, Palm Sundays, seems to me to be something of a misnomer. Think back and try to remember, if you, if you will, from history or, or from literature, from film or art or wherever, the entrance of a triumphal warrior or ruler. There's a sound of a trumpet or trumpets, an announcement of arrival, great pomp and circumstance, crowds of local citizens waving flags, cheering, shouting as the victor arrives, usually on a white war horse. This was in history and literature. Uh, today, perhaps in a, a Lincoln uh, limousine, either a uh, topless one or with a, one with the top down or uh, uh, one with uh, a metal roof, or perhaps even if you remember those pictures from World War II of uh, victorious armies coming in and on tanks and uh, standing up in the turret of the tank and looking out and and uh, all those things. But, but uh, there's this grand entrance and there's a waving of pennants and flags. There's a show by the, the, the victor coming in. Uh, there's this, the show of armor, of uh, arms and weaponry and all of this. And there, back then were groups of captives being paraded in behind uh, the victorious uh, leader. And all the local politicians and all the local people were out and they were greeting those uh, warmly. And the politicians were vying with one another for the best position to be in for the uh, TV news or the movie news back when they showed movies in the news or for the newspaper photographs or whatever. There's no, um, but anyway, as I said, it's an occasion of much pomp and circumstance. Now compare that to Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem as he approaches and enters into the city. Cloaks are thrown down, there's rejoicing and praise, but note, it's from those disciples with him. It's those ones who have been accompanying him all along. They're the ones throwing down the cloaks, the palm branches, shouting and singing and praising. It's not the citizen of Jerusalem. It's certainly not the city officials. In fact, some of the religious leaders tell him to muzzle his followers. There's no key to the city. No pomp and circumstance. He rides in, not on the white war horse, bedecked with flags and pennants, but on a donkey the coat, even, of a donkey. The Bible, of course, speaks of a day of triumph. John, in Revelation, writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, 
And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul gives a much shorter version to the Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. But this day, this first Palm Sunday, this is not that day. When I was in seminary, I was on staff as well, as seminary as well as a student for a while, and uh, I did uh, PR work. And uh, we were having some sort of conference there, and there were some big-name speakers and whatnot. And somehow, somebody messed something up. And I was the guy to take the blame. I don't know who did it, but somebody had to stand up and say, I'm so sorry, you know, here's what we did. And, and the speaker, the, the, the principal speaker, came up to me, put his arm on my shoulder, because I was just upset as all get out. And uh, he put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, man, he said, Woody, this isn't the end of the world. I've studied the end of the world. And this isn't it. He said, it's going to be a whole lot noisier then. You know? <laughs> and so it is. This first Palm Sunday isn't that day. It's a day of a somewhat less than triumphal entry, which is surprising. I mean, since it's, it's the arrival of the very archetype of Israel's prophets, priests, and kings. It's the arrival of Israel's greatly anticipated prophet, priest, and king, capital P, capital P, capital K, the prophet, like Moses, whom Moses said the Lord God would raise up from among Israel. The priest of whom the psalmist said the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The king greater than King David, who had yet come from David's line. I'm going to say four things, and they're kind of repetitious of what, all that I've just said, but just note these, these four things. First of all, on this day, on this day, the prophet was in their midst. Go into the village in front of you where on entering you'll find a coat tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Say this. The Lord has need of it. So the two went. And they were questioned. And they responded and brought the coat to Jesus, who knew exactly what was going to take place. And so he prophesied it. But there's a deeper, more profound prophecy than that. 
But then upon seeing Jerusalem as he descended to the Mount of Olives, uh, descended the Mount of Olives, excuse me, he prophesied again. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Now he didn't shed a tear over it. His eyes didn't kind of, you know, dampen up like mine did when the children were singing. He wept over Jerusalem, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This was roughly A.D. 33. In A.D. 70, the armies of Rome did exactly what Jesus said they would do. They flattened Jerusalem. The temple, the walls, the homes, everything. Utterly destroyed. Sort of stayed that way till 1948. And I'm not sure that what's there now is anything like what once was, theologically, historically speaking. He was there. <laughs> but they missed him. He was there. They saw the Galilean carpenter coming down the mountain on the donkey but they missed him, the prophet, the prophet of Israel, the one greater than Moses, of whom Moses spoke. Second, on this day, the king was present with them as well. The one born king of the Jews, but he came in not on that great war horse, not as the warrior king, but as the king of peace, waging not war, brandishing not a sword, but come to bring peace, to declare peace, to fulfill the angel's song at his birth, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. He came, the king of eternal peace. And he came riding a donkey. Think back to your reading of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. How many times have you read them in your life? How many times did Jesus ride a horse, a donkey, a cart, an oxen, a camel, I don't know, whatever, Do you remember them? Have you counted them? Outside of this, you add them all up and it comes to zero. He never rode anywhere. He walked. He has just come almost to Jerusalem from Galilee. He's still got two miles maybe to go. He's walked 100 miles to get there. But he gets to the top of Mount Olives and says, you go down and get a donkey and bring it here. 
And they did. And he sent them for that donkey because that's what kings rode over mountains. Even the great warrior kings. Battles normally were fought on plains. And white war horses do great on level ground. But when the king rode over a mountain, he wanted a donkey. The sure-footed donkey. And so he came, the king. And yes, it was also a sign of humility riding on the donkey. Here's the thing. He was there. He was there. But they missed him. They missed him. The king of glory was in their midst. And all they saw was the carpenter from Galilee. They missed him. Third, on this day too, the great high priest was there. Him who had been declared a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who would become a high priest forever. Who, like Melchizedek, wasn't of the priestly line, but yet entered his father's house and drove out those who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers, quoting his father, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. That's something you need to to see here and understand here uh, that we won't have time to flesh out, but sometime later we will. Jesus didn't finish the quote from Isaiah. There are two quotes there. One from Isaiah, uh, the first one, my house shall be a house of prayer. He didn't finish what Isaiah said. What Isaiah wrote, what God said to Isaiah to write, is my house shall be a house of prayer for all peoples, that is all nations, that is for the Gentiles, which would be you and me. The space the high priests and temple officials had opened to the merchants was known as the, the court of the foreigners or the court of the Gentiles. It was their only place in the temple. I mean, there were, there were signs. You know, anyone proceeding beyond this receives a death penalty. They could enter in to the court of the Gentiles. But that was their only entry to the God of peace. Everything else was reserved for Israel, for the Jews. And the high priest and the other leaders of the temple had, and this was a a recent thing, had recently turned that court into a bazaar, particularly at times like this. This was the Passover. The population of of Jerusalem was anywhere from four to ten times larger than it usually was. And they all came in and they all had to exchange money. Uh, They couldn't use their foreign currency in the temple. 
they, they, they needed to buy sacrificial animals. They needed, you know. And so they brought the merchants in. Now, there were four other markets in Jerusalem where people used to do all that. But they brought them in and displaced us, if you will, the Gentiles, the outsiders. From the one place they had, they gave them access to the house of God. And you and I, had we been there, would have been displaced as well. We couldn't have entered the house of God. There's a lot to say there theologically. We'll save it. The point is, Jesus was there. He was there. The priest was with them, among them. But they missed him. All they saw was the Galilean carpenter. And fourthly, note again, the praise for Jesus came primarily from his own disciples. That party that started some of them in Galilee and were picked up along the way as they made their way to Jerusalem. They were the ones primarily praising and singing, throwing their cloaks on the ground and palm branches and whatever. There was another group of people there that paid attention though. There was that horde of outside visitors, four to 10 times the population of the city. What is this? And they were listening and they were paying attention. And it was a handful of the residents, but the great number of residents ignored him, showed little interest in him. The leaders of the people and temple, however, were greatly interested in Jesus. I mean, we read right there. They were seeking to destroy him. (laughs) They were interested in him. How can we get rid of him? And they hadn't come up with a way yet. But they were working on it. For the weekend was out. They would take him in custody. Beat him. Belittle him. Crown him with thorns. Mock him. Nail him to a cross. And lift him up to die. Because... They did not know the time of their visitation. But they couldn't destroy him. There on the cross, before that mocking, murderous mass of ignorance, barbarity, and hatred, Jesus fulfilled all prophecy, bore the sins of his people, became their great high priest by offering the single, acceptable, effectual, unduplicatable offering for their sins, interceding effectively for them by it forever, and won the victory by offering himself. They couldn't destroy him He wouldn't stay destroyed. He wouldn't remain in the grave 
Up from the grave he arose, we sing, with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. But that's a week beyond this day. That's a week beyond this day. And I said all this simply to get to this, to broach this one single simple question. Have you missed him? You gather here week by week, by, or week by every other week, or every so often. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Here's what matters. He's here. He's here. In what we do, our songs, our prayers, his word, the sermons, the baptisms, the Lord's suppers, our fellowship. He's here. Jesus, prophet, priest, king, redeemer, savior. Lord. This is Sunday, April 14th, the year of our Lord, 2019. Palm Sunday. This is the day of our visitation. Your visitation. Have you seen them? Have you fallen down before him? Have you praised him? Have you believed him? Have you trusted him? Have you loved him? Have you followed him? Have you committed yourself to him? Or have you missed him? Those most tragic words of John. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Have you missed him? Have you failed? to recognize the time of your visitation? Jesus is here, calling you to himself, offering you peace, peace with God forever. By offering his life, his love, his death, his burial, his resurrection. 
Don't miss it. As always, any one of us would love to sit down and talk with you about him. But we come to the end of the sermon. So, Holy Week is begun. The Savior moves unrelentingly toward the cross, the tomb, death, and resurrection. For you, for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come from heaven to rescue your people, to save us, deliver us, redeem us, make us your own. Indeed, to all who received you, you gave power to become children of God, our Father. We bless you and praise you. We thank you. O Spirit of God, work within us. Enable us to know the day of our visitation, to fall before our Savior, to embrace and love and trust and believe and to live with you for all eternity. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.